Welcome back to A Fine Time for Healing. I am your show host, Randy Fine. So the question I want to ask you today is, do any of you enjoy having a crisis? Do I hear a resounding no? <laughs> but what if there was a way that you could reframe this crisis and make it palatable or even beneficial in your life? Stay tuned because we're going to learn about that. Today we have with us Kelly Sullivan, Sullivan Walden, aka Dr. Dream, who is an award-winning best-selling author of 10 books, a dream expert, certified clinical hypnotherapist, inspirational speaker, and workshop facilitator. She also holds a doctorate degree in interfaith studies. Her unique approach to dream work led her to consultant with thousands of consult, I guess it's consult, with thousands of individuals from Fortune 500 executives to celebrities, stay-at-home moms. She hosts the Kelly Sullivan Walden Show podcast and is the founder of DreamWork Practitioner Training, an online professional development program empowering people to incorporate DreamWork into their careers. Good morning, Kelly. Welcome. Good morning, Randy. It's such an honor and privilege to be with you. Thank you so much for having me. You are welcome. Um, we were supposed to, Kelly was supposed to do the show last week and I didn't feel well, so we had to reschedule, but I'm so happy to have her with us. So I love the title of your book. A crisis is a terrible thing to waste. <laughs> what is this crisis? What does this uh, title mean to you? I heard it years ago and it just stuck and I found myself using it all day long, every day, every session, every, looking at everything and just it it just felt like it every once in a while you find a little phrase that just sums up everything you believe and and I just thought it was I didn't make it up. Um, I don't exactly know who made it up. It's kind of a blend of a few people, but it to me, it just feels like, yes, we're going to go through our difficulties. None of us get out without them. None of us, no matter how silver the spoon is that that is implanted in our mouth at birth, there's going to be difficulties. And what do we do with them? And I, I guess I'm an optimist at heart and I, 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 just as you asked at the very top of the show, any of you like going through a crisis? <laughs> Hell to the no. If I could see it coming a mile away, believe me, I would run the other way. But there are those that are just coded for us that are just, they have our name on them. We were just kind of meant to, they were meant to be. And um, if we're going to have to have them, then all right, then let's make something of them. Let's do something productive, powerful. Let's let's become better, not bitter as a result of them. So it just felt like it was the slogan for my life <laughs> more than well anything said. else I've ever felt. Well said, yeah. And you, um, in the beginning of your book, you have your, um, let's see, what do you call it again? The itty bitty shitty list. <laughs> the nitty, nitty gritty, nitty gritty shitty, shitty list. Um, and Kelly, you know, for the first time ever in all the years that she's been doing her work, she's finally re revealed what she went through. She hasn't really talked about that before, but she opened that up because she wants you to know as you're reading this book, she speaks from great uh, experience and she's been through this. And, you know, I thought I had a lot, but she has quite a bit. <laughs> She has a bit. So, Let's compare um, our boo-boos. Yeah, a lot of them, a lot of things. She's been through a lot. So um, so as a result of this, you created the OGLE method, the O-G-L-E method. And what is that? So some say OGLE, some say OGLE. It just comes out of my mouth, OGLE. Okay. Um, it's, I, I'm, all, I'm the queen of acronyms. If I can find a quick, succinct way of being able to get a formula together so that I can practice it when the bleep is hitting the fan, then I'm all for it. So OGLE is is what I use and what I teach my clients to use when they're just stuck, stuck in the mud, stuck in victimhood, stuck in the sense of what's the point? What's the purpose? You know, why did this happen to me? I say, well, let's just ogle it. Let's try that. 
And in, so, and I also think it's kind of funny, actually, somebody pointed it out to me years, years later, that you were ogled as, as a young woman. So now you're doing the ogling. I thought, oh my God, isn't that wow. hilarious? I didn't even see that. Yeah. I mean, and I don't mean it like I was perpetrated. Now I'm the perpetrator. I don't mean it like that, but it's like, I, instead of running from my fears, instead of hiding and cowering, I am now moving toward them. I teach people to do this in nightmares, in nightmare work, move toward the nemesis, move toward the difficulty, because if you do, then you'll be able to really see it. You'll like get behind the scenes mm -hmm. and you'll discover, I'm gonna take out this earring because it's making some noise. <laughs> it, you'll discover that what you thought was chasing you wasn't exactly what you thought. It's kind of like the, the Wizard of Oz thing. It's like, and you look behind the curtain, the big, powerful, mighty Oz, it's this little shivering, quivering man with a big bullhorn. And then it's like, oh, well, what was all that about? Okay, so O-G-L-E stands for what to do with a difficulty. So I always suggest that while I, while I walk through this, people call to mind a difficulty that they may be in the midst of right now or something recent. And imagine and give yourself permission, imagine that we had all the time in the world or at least longer than we have now, but the O stands for what's offensive about what happened or about what this person did to you or about this unfair circumstance. So whatever it is, you give yourself permission to be present to what hurt you. What, what offended you? Was it physical? Was it emotional? Was it your pride? Was it your peace of mind? Was it your faith in people's goodness? What was it that got broken or offended? So give yourself time in the O. Don't, we don't want to gloss over that. Some of us, I think that we could divide the human race into two categories, not men and women. But I think those who gloss over things too quickly, like I would have been accused of in the past, or those who wallow a little too long in the O, <laughs> the, and have I, like they become known for their difficult thing, like, oh, she's the one that was raped. Oh, she's the one that was a stripper. She's the one that survived that abuse. I mean, it's okay to be known for being the the one to go to as the healer for that thing, but we don't want to just be branded that thing. So we move to the G once we get the O out of our system. The G is for what's good about that thing. And Randy, for example, I mean, everything you're doing, you are a, the poster child for what's what's good about the horrors that you've lived through because you are now this radiant light for other people to give them hope, to give them guidance, to give them very tangible, not theoretical, but actual support. So that is good. And, and I remember this just, this just popped into my mind yesterday and it caused me to kind of weep then. I'll try not to weep all over you, but <laughs> I'm remembering I was in therapy for the very first time in my early twenties when I was just digging my way out of, of, I had been a stripper for a year and I had, I, I was in AA, I was trying to clean my life up, but I was, it was, I was barely able to get my mouth above the, the, the water. I was just barely making it. And the therapist said, like with the things that she was teaching me, she said, one of these days, you're going to pass forward. You're going to pay forward what you're learning right now. And there was some little moment of, could that be like, I just, I got a teeny glimpse into the wow. future that I might be capable of giving somebody else hope. That little moment was so important to me. So it wasn't a good thing that was happening right then and there, but it was the possibility of good that could be in the future that did in some way provide a trickle of good in that present dark moment. So even if it's not good now, what might be good about this? What might be, or what could be good on a parallel plane if you've got to get really cosmic? Like we could say, well, what if we were awful 10 past lives ago and in this life we're cleaning it all up 
so that karma is all gone. So our next lifetime will be roses. <laughs> so we, sometimes we just have to get creative. Right, exactly. <laughs> and then we move to the L, which is the looking glass. And this is hard, but this is really where the alchemy comes in. This is where we ask ourselves, where have I ever, even to the most minuscule degree, where have I ever done the same thing that is so offensive to me? Where have I ever judged? Where have mm. I ever harmed? Where have I ever been narcissistic? Ooh, ouch. And there's healthy narcissism. P.S. Yes. Divine narcissism even. Absolutely. Right. So where have I ever put myself first in front of somebody else? Did I ever step in line in front of, where have I ever, even if it was tiny, we ask ourselves, have I ever, or how might I ever, like given the right circumstance, if I was starving, might I steal a loaf of bread? Yeah, I've done that. <laughs> Absolutely stole an apple off the cart. And I stole lipstick from the grocery store that I didn't need. I mean, there's times that I've done the, the very thing that I've been right. so upset that other people did to me. And that leaves us finally with the E. And the E is for now that we know all these things, how will we elevate? Even if it's also just a microscopic baby step toward the light. So in my situation way back when, it was, we'll stick with the therapy, stick with the 12 steps, do the fearless, thorough inventory of myself so that maybe one day I will get there. So what is in our lane to do today in this moment and do that little thing? And that can tend to kind of pop us out of the deepest part of the funk because sometimes we have to keep ogling or ogling, depending on the way you right. pronounce it. Exactly, exactly. I really love this. I mean, the way you took this apart is just perfect. It really allows us to examine something from very different angles and helps us to come to come to terms with it. I, I think it's excellent. Um, why do you think we have these crises? Ooh. Do you have an opinion? I have an opinion, but I want to hear <laughs> Let me hear your opinion first and then I'll weigh in. Okay. For sure. All right. So I think you alluded to it. I really do. Uh, you were talking about karma and past lives and things like that. Yeah. I don't necessarily think that it's karma and past lives. I do think that we have an eternal soul that inhabits a physical um, realm from time to time. And we've all done it. And I believe we've all done it many times. And the purpose of coming to earth school, I think we could pretty much incarnate anywhere, but the purpose of coming to earth school is to learn and grow and, and, and enhance, develop our soul. And our, the goal is for our soul to become as, as pure as it can possibly be. And in order to do that, we've got to go through trials and tribulations. We have to. And so we come here with an agenda. We're going to go through this, that, this, that, this, that, you know. And our purpose for coming here is to overcome them and move past it. And so, you know, I always tell people, and this is the way I look at it in my own life. When you hit something in your life that feels like the biggest hurdle, the highest wall, the thing you can't do, that's when I say to myself, this is what I came here to do because I Ooh. know it's like, boom, you hit it. Mm. And so then I say to myself, all right, whatever it takes, <clears throat> I'm not doing this again. I don't want to come back and do this again. Right. You know, and then yeah. I push forward and keep moving. And, um, and it, it, it helps you to build some tools because once you realize you can move through these things, and this is why your method is so wonderful because it shows you that you can move things, move through these things and you give a method of how to do that. So do you have an opinion that's alike <laughs> or different than what I have? Oh, no, it's absolutely aligned, but I'll just maybe come in at a, another place. But, um, you know, I think many people that are watching or listening to your show, they've probably heard the story of the Golden Buddha but um, the idea is that when the when this Buddhist monastery was being invaded, they they couldn't move this gigantic statue, this gigantic golden statue of a Buddha. So they 
Instead, they covered it in cement, hoping that the invaders wouldn't wouldn't take it. Mm -hmm. And years later, maybe decades later, I'm not exactly sure, and this is an actual story, there was an anthropologist who who was kind of hovering around and looking, ogling the the remains of this monastery. And he the sun happened to hit this little crack in this Buddha and the gold underneath it kind of startled him. And he saw this, what, what's that? So he began to excavate and remove the, the cement and discovered that there was this golden Buddha underneath and it was extraordinary. So, so if we break that down, we could say that we are all born golden. We're all that golden Buddha at our core. Our true nature is pure gold but we go through difficulties and and in order to survive them we we layer up we put out we put the cement covering over ourselves we become really funny we're really smart really avoidant really aggressive really we become something we become some we have some cement that covers up our golden essence that is a compensatory mechanism, a survival mechanism, some way that we are able to get through the war. And and if we're and if we're good survivors, then we we make it through the war. And then there's peace. And then we're like, okay, great, everything's fine. I kind of like this cemented version of myself. All right, let's keep doing life. But then something happens to trip us up, and we're like, what? This is the worst thing ever. But it cracks our cement and underneath it we discover that gold so that crack i think is the crisis the crack is the oh no this is the worst thing that could have ever happened going you know uh, i mean my god i don't mean to sound blasphemous but like a war a pandemic uh, all of or these very personal wars or personal mm -hmm. pandemics these it's like these are the cracks but then the crisis is this it's the ability to crack open and eventually we're able to say, wow, we really didn't want to live the rest of our lives covered up anyway. So right. these crises, if we let them, will help us to remove that heavy shell mm -hmm. around us so that we can all go around being who we really truly are. I mean, that's another way of getting to say that. I love that analogy. Thing. That's perfect. I love that. So, you know, and it's true. Um, some people want to keep that shell over them they want to keep that concrete over them because the world feels very frightening to them mm -hmm. and and they don't feel like they'll know what to do without it but right. you know i think that that life puts us in situations where that cracks and then yes. we have to go all right am i going to just patch that up you know, or right, give me some more cement quick, right? Give me some more cement, right? Exactly. Let's patch that up so I can keep going. I want to go to work. I want to do what I do. I want to be happy. I don't want to grieve. I don't want to be sad. Let's just patch it up. Um, and that's, these are the times where we really just need to let that crack open. And I, I think this is, um, I, I love what you said. I think this is great. Um, and I agree with you. It's a ter terrific analogy. You do dream work. Um, tell us about that. Yeah. So let me say one little thing because it's going to bug me if I don't say it. Okay, say it. But, but it's when it comes to one thing that I look for. So if I'm if somebody's going through the Ogle formula and they can't find their way to what's good about it, one perspective is that we're, I believe, in my own laboratory of my life and work with my clients i would say that anytime we're ever offended by somebody's behavior it's because they're it's it's their cemented self that's hurting us mm -hmm. it's not their golden essence that is hurting us so it's helpful to know that they're crack they're hurting us to help us to get to our gold mm -hmm. and if a person was behaving from their gold, it wouldn't offend us. Even if they said mm -hmm. something like, I hate you, I don't know, not that anybody in their gold would ever say that, but whatever would they would say or do would likely be illuminating, would likely be like, oh, thank you, I was waiting for somebody say, to say that to me. That is exactly what I needed to hear. So 
if we're looking for what's good about somebody's crappy behavior, we could say, well, at least, and this is a stretch, but at least they, they have a preservation mechanism in place. I don't like it. I don't like their judgy attitude or their meanness mm -hmm. or their cruelty or their selfishness. But that by the by definition, it means that there is some golden part of them under there that they deem worth protecting. So if we were to get really macro about it, if they didn't have that, they wouldn't be on the planet. They would they would likely not be here. If if we didn't discover some protective mechanism, then we wouldn't be here. And for the I mean, we don't want to hold on to that protective mechanism longer than we need, but it's anyway, it's just a way to be able to look at and just a context for we all have gold underneath. And that is helpful when one of the one of the moments when I was healing years, years, years ago, back back then, somebody said to me that there was a part of me that had never been hurt, harmed or endangered. Ooh. And I was like, what part is that? Because <laughs> I feel pretty friggin' shattered. <laughs> Whether it was true or not, I, I envisioned some little speck of gold somewhere under the rubble that was still intact, that hadn't been touched by all the many things on my nitty gritty shitty list. And just knowing that, that was like, there was some alchemy that started to happen even in that. Okay, so dreams. <laughs> I like it. I know. I'm, I'm really glad you share that with us. I like that. You know, and, and there are, and some people are never going to crack their exterior. Um, and, and I, and I do true. agree that right. there's some people that are just here to be as hard as possible on us. So we right. can exactly. And probably through, through the eons, through other times, we've probably done that for others. Ooh. I like to think of um, Carlos Castaneda in one of his books, he talks about the pinche tiranito. Have you heard of this? Mm -hmm. It's, uh, it's, I think about it when, when the nemesis is truly awful. And Carlos Castaneda's teacher, Don Juan, after he found Carlos Castaneda beaten in the street by this person that had enslaved him and left him for dead. Don Juan, the, the shaman was healing him and he said, what happened? And the guy and Carlos Castaneda told him about the horrors that he'd been through. And the shaman gets a smile on his face and he says, ah, you got a good one. Pinche <laughs> tiranito. He said, they don't come that good anymore these days. Like you got to go back. And he's like, what? no he's like not now like get stronger build your strength back up and then go back and take the power that you left there with him and in the process of that you will become a great healer and we don't become healers we don't become people that really have something to offer without having to pay a very high price so i like to think Pinche tiranito. <laughs> you got a good one. Yeah, that. The... <laughs> That's great. I love these stories. I love them. Um, yeah. It's the, the you know, one of the things about narcissistic abuse is while I'm oh. helping somebody go through this horrific Oof. process where yeah. they believe they're never going to rise above it. Um, right. I know that the other side of this is going to be joyous and beautiful and completely different. It's like the other side of the right. rainbow, right? And yeah. so um, it, and I can't really say that to people when they're in the hurting stage, uh, but I know that that's coming. And when I finally hear that, when they, when they come back and they say to me, Randy, I know I went through all that and this, there was a greater purpose and look what I am now. It's like, okay job done <laughs> you got there you're at the other side of the rainbow um yeah but yeah, yeah the other side but you are the hope i mean because you've been there and you're you're sitting in the spot that you are you don't even have to say there is hope i mean it's it's you are the hope thank you and i love that annie lamont quote about how 
lighthouses don't have to run all over the island looking for ships to save. They just stand <laughs> there and beam. So you, like part of the mm -hmm. gift of the hell that you've gone through is you are a lighthouse and the ones that you gravitate to, they're lighthouses in the making. Wonderful. Thank you. That's a wonderful thing to say. Okay. It's true. So dreams. <laughs> dreams. Okay. So, so tell us about your dream work that you do. Well, as a professional dream worker, most people don't seek people like me out if they're having a series of really happy dreams. Um, at a party, maybe they'll tell me about their flying dream or their wonderful lucid dreams. But most of the people over the years, over the decades that came to see me um, were because they were having nightmares, difficult dreams. And and just like Debbie Ford's book, who I'm sure I'm sure you're familiar with her book, The Dark Side of Light Chasers, or if not, the title is good enough. But um, she said that a lot of the people who are here to do the most light work sometimes do go through the darkest stuff. And I think some of the lightest people have the darkest dreams. Mm -hmm. So it's like as part of an initiate initiation, if if life wasn't difficult enough, then the dreams are kind of haunting them. So I've sort of developed an expertise in looking at nightmares from the perspective of how is this a blessing? How is it helping mm -hmm. to to help us heal in a rapid way? So I think our our difficult dreams and dreams. I mean, every dream I think is a good dream, even if it's a horrible nightmare, because I think it's helping us to move quickly through just like um, in the same way that getting getting a, a snake bite. There's there's an, there's anti venom in the venom if you just rearrange the properties a bit. So we it's possible to have a radical transformation as a result of working with dreams. Our dreams are our subconscious mind, which according to the American Hypnosis Association is 88% of our mind's power is our subconscious dreaming mind versus our logic, concrete, rational thinking. It's only 12% of our mind. So if we're only focusing on what we can recognize with our five senses, we'll make progress, but it's so much slower than if we're bringing in our whole mind. And our dreams are one way to make it actually um, tangible because it's not just like, yes, I have this subconscious mind. And, you know, it's like it seems kind of etheric. But when we actually have a dream, it's like we're pulling in something that is felt, that is memorable, that right. we can actually work with. So that's a little bit of kind of the background of how I what brought me here. So tell us about what a nightmare can how it can be beneficial for us well i'll give you an example um there, well i have my own i have i have one client let me just i'll tell you about somebody other than me but then i'll share one of my own as well um she had a series of probably narcissistic um relationships but there was she had a recurring dream that there was this deranged man that wanted to kill her who was chasing her mm -hmm. and it was going on and on and on and i asked mm -hmm. her finally okay let's let's work with this nightmare let's like and i i ask people in a waking state to re-engage in the dream in the nightmare to bring in some resources and and redo the nightmare and that's not cheating it's actually a very formal practice that they do that they teach at Harvard. It's called imagery rehearsal therapy. <clears throat> so I asked her to go back into the dream and she did something that I wouldn't have done, <laughs> but she, she wanted this deranged man to finish what he wanted to do. And I was like, Oh, wait, I thought you were gonna like, I stab him or slice yeah. it off or something. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm like, I'm here to support this person in their process. So, so he, so if you're listening to this, this is a trigger warning, put a bubble around yourself or just pause. So I'll just say it quickly. Basically, he mutilates her, okay. chops her up into a million tiny pieces. And I say, okay, then what? And she said, well, I'm, I'm dead, but wait a minute. I start like my body parts start to move and they start to gravitate back 
kind of like pieces of a jigsaw puzzle. I'm coming back together, but not in the same way I was. I'm every time I come together, I'm stronger. And this dude is freaking out because he sees that I'm actually immortal. And I finally am back together, but I am so much stronger than I was. And now I am not afraid because the worst thing happened and here I am. So he gets on his knees, he begs for forgiveness, he's sobbing. And what do I do? Because I keep saying, okay, now what, now what, now what? So she says, it's now sun. It's like the dawn has come and I'm walking towards the sun. And after a while of walking towards the sun, she looks back over her shoulder and sees that he's following her as a disciple. Oh, oh my God. This is so amazing. What a prophetic. Okay, keep going. No, so so now not only is she not afraid of this man or other men like him, but now she knows that she's got an ally. So if she ever needs somebody that that's got her back, it's him. In the same way that Nelson Mandela's captor, abuser in prison for 27 years on Robben Island became his number one ally, his bodyguard after he got out of prison. It's like he it's like the whole the cycle got complete. And most of the time in this life, we don't get to see that full spectrum transformation, but we can imagine it. <clears throat> Even like Anita Marjani, who wrote the book Dying to Be Me, her her father who had disowned her and who had treated her so horribly, he was on the other side and she got to meet him when she was riddled with cancer and died. And he also got on his knees and apologized. So we have to know on some level that if we were to fast forward the movie of the dream to the furthest, the final scene, there would be redemption. So we get to call that scene into present time and imagine that that's what is in fact happening now because we are the directors of our dream or at least the co-directors with our higher power. And we can fast forward to that scene. We don't have to keep living in the trauma and the trauma and the trauma. We get to say, well, what would happen next? What's next? What's mm-hmm. next? What's next? Until we're like, ha ha, until we hear the angels sing. That's so amazing. So beautiful. What an, I mean, where did that come from? There's somebody having nightmares and all of a sudden this profound solution comes up out of her. Wow. Right. Well, this is the, the nature of ogling. I mean, ogling is to really look at something. And this is about looking not just like, I, I always like to say that one way not to transform is to simply look at what's happening on the surface Mm. and what's on the surface is horrible. And then we just keep becoming re-traumatized, but to transform, we have to keep looking at the layers and layers and layers underneath and get to it. And then it stops having power over us. It's just, I mean, it's, these are just principles. It's kind of like with a, with a math equation that seems so daunting, like, what if you boil it all down it comes down to one plus one equals two i mean there's some basic um i don't know why i'm talking about math because i have no business doing any of that that's not (laughs) the way my brain works but i think things come down to simple principles when we get down to the to the heart of it this is a brilliant method i'm like so impressed by it i I, you know i think this is really amazing that means a lot coming from you (laughs) it's so practical because anybody can do this right we can do it with each other and we can i mean we can do it over and over i had somebody reach out to me she said i did a 20 page ogle (laughs) i said that's awesome i mean it can be in her journal and she spent about 10 of those pages in the o and the rest of what she (laughs) but it's good it's not, it, there's a difference between just venting, because I think sometimes venting can be like recycled and then we can just continue the vent. Some, I mean, I don't know if you've noticed this, but sometimes there isn't always a beginning, middle and end to the venting. It can keep kind of re-triggering itself and it can just keep going, but we have to kind of vent with, with the knowledge that there's the next step. 
<laughs> so that we don't just stay in that loop. I've been there. I was there for years. Oh my Lord. I mean, and we, and it's the, the crime that we're, uh, that we're doing the Ogle formula about it does. I mean, it matches us a lot of suffering. And I think sometimes to move out of suffering, we almost feel like we're not honoring what we've been through. Mm -hmm. Like if right. we become too well, then it's as if to say that never happened. Mm -hmm. So it's, and so that's a whole other practice of, yeah, you know, yeah. there's definitely a fear attached to letting go of trauma. <clears throat> yeah. And especially if it's, yeah. if it's trauma that you've carried for your entire life, it truly becomes your identity. And then in order to let that go, you don't know who you are. And that's a terrifying thing because it feels right. like the, the floor drops out from under you. Who am I going to be when I lose this? So people tend to cling to it. Um, right. We but what I like about the Ogle method is that you give safe space to take this apart with the knowledge that is going to come back together. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, so it's not like somebody goes, okay, I'm just out there. What do I do now? Ah, uh, you know, um, they know there's a there's a rescue remedy remedy mm -hmm. that's coming to help them process all of that and that's really that's part of the brilliance of it so oh my goal is that i mean most of the stories <clears throat> in my book were the the ogling happened most of them happened way later like you know some <clears throat> months some years later except for one of them one of the stories, and I don't know if you had a chance to get to it, but it was where I was attacked by a bull mastiff, which yes, is- a, I read it. Yeah. And that was the only one that I was able to process through pretty, as, as close to real time as possible. Hmm. So I got attacked by a dog and then I, and then as soon as the owner pulled the dog off me and I was, and he asked if I was okay. And I wanted to say, yeah, 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 I'm, I'm good, I'm okay. But I, but there was some part of me that remembered, no, you're not okay. And this, this monk, his face popped into my head, David, who had traveled the world with mother Teresa, helping people work through the most horrifying traumas, war and famine and abuse. And he said, you've got to shake it out of your system. Like the animals do, as soon as you're in a clearing, as soon as the trauma isn't still happening, as soon as the as soon as there's calm, the moment there's calm, shake your body, literally like move it out of your body before it lodges in, before it gets it kind of moves its way in and takes up residence and and gets an address and a business card and <laughs> sends its kids <laughs> off to college. And it's, it's like, do the shaking. So in front of this guy, I was like, but I don't want to shake in front of this stranger. I'm going to look like an idiot. He's like, his dog just attacked you. Who cares what this person? So I let myself literally just ah! and cry and scream and get it all out. It took probably a minute, and then I felt fine. It's a fine time for healing. Right. I felt like I was literally okay and not traumatized. After a few months later, a, a couple bull mastiff walked by me on the road by by my house while I was and and I had it wasn't until after it passed that I went, oh, <laughs> oh my God, I, I wasn't afraid that there was no PTSD. Oh my God, it worked. The shaking works. There is a, um, there is a method that I, I think I talk about it in my book. Um, we can keep mm. talking and I'll get back yes. to it. Um, about yeah. there's, it's, it's, I think it's called TRE or, um, mm. wait a minute, let me see. <clears throat> We can keep talking because it's going to take me a little while to find it, but okay. there, there is a method um, and I was introduced to mm. this method by a friend of mine who had such severe PTSD Ooh. and he would literally lay in his bed and shake every night, just allow it. Uh -huh. He would allow the shaking and he told me this is a very therapeutic thing and he's like, check this out. Um, you know, <sighs> there's, a, there's a real method for this. And yeah. So, yeah, I'm gonna I'm yeah. gonna find that as we. Oh, well, here, if we. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh. <clears throat> okay. So, 
trauma release exercises developed by David Berselli. Um, I wonder if it's the same David. Uh-huh. Terry consists of six simple exercises that help individuals release tension from the muscles, which in turn relaxes the anxiety of our minds by evoking a muscular shaking process in the body. Nice. So T-R-E um, or the Berselli Foundation.org. I don't know. If or traumaprevention.org. So there is maybe who was this person that told you? This? He was a monk. He just he was a he had been a Franciscan monk who and I um I met him at a place it was Brain State Technology back then in Sedona. So I'll look it up and see if it's the same guy. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah and I yeah. And there's videos I think of, you know, him conducting these um trauma release classes. Ooh, well, so I'm yeah, be looking yeah, that yeah. Up. I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, yeah. Shaking. Yeah, it's good. It's there's something about it. I mean, if you think about it, the body is so wise. We we're we're coded for surviving and but because of our ego i mean it would have been that was the thing my not wanting to shake in front of this stranger for one minute looking a little bit kooky i might have had trauma in my body and been afraid every time i saw a big dog from that moment on maybe for the next 20 years because i didn't want to just lose control for a minute and I mean, it really taught me something. Our ego, it, we need an ego. You know, we wouldn't be able to press buttons and put on lipstick. And right, exactly. <laughs> like it's okay that we have an ego. But that ego would have also had me look good to this stranger and suffer for the next, I'm maybe the rest of my life. So I think we just need to be willing to just, I mean, I think the, the trick is when it comes to ogling, whether it's, I mean, one of the, you know, kind of the fine print using fine once again in under the ogle is when you feel the emotion, because it might not be right this moment. It might not, but when it does well up, when you hear a song, when you're, when you see something that reminds you, like, let it come through, find a place to let it through. And yeah, it might not be appropriate while you're in the middle of a board meeting, but you can say, excuse me, I need to use the restroom. There's so many of my stories where the restroom comes in handy, like because you can. That's that's a so mm-hmm. that's an acceptable, acceptable. thing to do. That's exactly. Gotta right. go to the little girls' room. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows that behind that stall, you're <laughs> what you're doing back there. You're spazzing out. <laughs> Maybe the person in the stall next to you is like, <laughs> "What's going hmm. on in there?" <laughs> but we'll feel a lot better. Like right. let it rip when it comes up. Let it out as much as possible and as close to real time as possible and the other option is the pleaser in people where they don't they just want to make sure nobody else is yes by what they're going through exactly and then they take it in and this is this is something i did almost my probably the first 30 years of my life i just because that was the role i had in my family i was the one to make everybody calm down at my own expense. But I didn't realize yeah. that, you know what I'm saying? Of course not, right. Well, so, because you were still in the thick of it. I mean, you were, it was a long-term coping mechanism like mine. Mm-hmm. I mean, mine was making sure everybody felt good. And I was also fan kicks and here's my cheerleading routine. I'll distract them, I'll bedazzle them. Oh my and, gosh. and then the moment I would stop, you know, or you never, it was, I think the most traumatizing was when I would do all the razzle dazzle and it still didn't work. That was when the despair like fell in. And so, yeah, there's these long-term practices that we have that, that don't go quickly. don't go willingly, but if we know, I mean, I had, so I'm hoping that people will remember this moment. If you, the next time you're in the clear right after something traumatic happens, give yourself permission to cry, to shake and, move it out as soon as you're, I mean, maybe while you're not in the middle of it, because like while the dog is biting my arm, you know, I mean, I was kind of shaking, but not, I wasn't releasing anything. Were you hurt? I was, I was. And I, and I was, I was just showing somebody on zoom. I don't know. I mean, it's been years now, but there's a scar still. Mm, Okay. Yeah. It's an indentation. Mm -hmm. And, and I wouldn't trade this scar for anything. It's like, 
my own. I don't have any tattoos. So this is kind of like my <laughs> tattoo that I'm like, check it out. I did that. I lived through that. Like, <laughs> I'm proud of that scar, actually, yes. at this point, but writing about it helped me. I mean, all of this, you know, this writing this book was definitely a way of being able to embrace all all what I would have considered all the broken the evidence of my brokenness. But in writing it out, there was something very healing about just the writing process. And now the sharing about it takes it to a whole other universe. Scars, whether they are emotional, mental or physical, are not about what happened. They're to show you how far you've come. Right. That you survived. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's isn't it crazy to think of the things that we've come through that we didn't have an owner's manual. We didn't know how we were going to make it through, but we did. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's astonishing. Mm -hmm. It's astonishing as little kids. Like, I mean, we, we should be so proud of our scars. Mm -hmm. So proud. Right. I agree. I do agree. So, um, so for i know we have to end um let's see we have a little more time a little more time okay uh so are you familiar with narcissistic abuse in not not as not as much as not as well as you are i mean in i was watching some of your shows and i was taking notes and i i do have some i i have experience in it but i didn't call it that at the time okay but yeah but yeah (laughs) so what do you say to people who Mm. um are constantly being triggered by the person if you have an answer i'm putting you on the spot and if you say if you say you don't know that's perfectly fine because this i'm giving you a tough question well i'll talk about one i mean there's so in the very beginning of a crisis is a terrible thing to waste i allude to having been manipulated by um somebody who is my manager so this isn't wasn't um a romantic partner but doesn't have he was somebody who who kind of profiled me and sought me out lied and manipulated and and so i was 20 years old he had he literally had a casting call and so i write about this in my follow-up book that isn't out yet and so this i don't go into detail about it in this book but what happened was he put on a whole casting and i was 20 i was pursuing acting and having you know having a hard time even getting arrested back then it was it was a slog is there was i mean there was a million girls that looked just like me on every audition and Mm -hmm. it was really tough so he auditions and there's a bunch of girls in the waiting room that look just like me but i get the i get the gig and i'm so excited and he's and it was i thought it was i was auditioning for a music video but he wanted me to sing and he liked my voice even though that's a little questionable but i can hit the right notes sometimes anyway so he (laughs) basically wanted to make me a star he's like you're the next madonna and i and madonna was my patron saint so i was like oh my god he sees me he talk about the love bomb the love bomb the love bomb like you're the next best blah 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 but in order to get there you got to do what i say so i was like okay so um so i so I went to singing lessons. I went to dancing lessons. I did all the things that made sense to do. And then he said, you got to quit your job. I was working. I was, um, I was working at an art gallery, just kind of as a receptionist, um, selling public nuisance perfume, but that's a whole other story in Beverly Hills. And, (laughs) and he was mad every time I would go to work because he said, I wasn't taking my career seriously. So I wanted to prove to him that I was serious. I didn't want him to move on to another girl. So I quit my job. And then shortly thereafter, I was broke. I had no money. And, and I, and because he was my manager, I was like, I don't have any gas in my car. I have to eat. And he said, I've got a job idea, uh, something that you could do that would, that would make you a better performer. Madonna did it. 
And if you're serious about your career, you'll work, try working a night in a gentleman's club. So I, and I was a good Catholic girl. I went to church every Sunday. This was not in the trajectory. This is not where I would have naturally ever in a million years went, but he made such a case for it. And he, so he brought me in to this seedy, seedy little club and because he was there and he, he was like, if I didn't do what he said, then I would, I would have to go back to the slog. And, you know, so I believed him a hundred percent. So I got up on that stage and I stripped and he gave me pointers, like do like, don't move so fast. We're a different do, you know, next to tomorrow night, you're going to, I was like tomorrow. I thought it was just a one-time thing. No, no, no. You got to get better at this. So I ended up doing this for a year a year and he was making money off of me and it turns out like cut to present time when i when i started to write about him and uncover these memories i looked on i was looking online for like just images of him and there's very few but there was this complaint board that was called like complaint board with there was probably at that time and they've some of them many of them are gone at this point but there was about 20 other women that had the exact same story that i did and worse because the moment is it was if oh he had me move in with him by the way so i was in so i i had become kind of just indoctrinated and he had me doubt myself whenever my family didn't live that far away. I was only about my family was in Whittier, which was like an hour and a half away. Didn't want me to see my family, didn't want me to see my friends. And it was, I mean, now I can see that it was completely planned the whole time, but it was, um, yeah, I don't know Kelly, if that is exactly what you would say. <laughs> Kelly, you, he was a narcissist. That is the experience of the abused. Yeah. The whole process. It starts off really exciting. It starts off enticing. Um, but what their, their goal is to infiltrate your psyche and move yeah. the, move the gears. They just, and, and that's what it is. And, and, and when you come out of these things, the trauma is severe. Oh my God. Yourself has been stolen. Right. Right. So there was one night where i was so like it, i just i i literally came home sobbing and he was there waiting and i said like i i have to quit because i i want to die i i all i'm obsessed with i'm obsessed with thinking about the ways that i'm going to kill myself i'm going to drive in front of i'm going to walk in front of that car i'm going to drive off the freeway and he said this is when you have to kick in even harder this is when like if you this is what this is the make it or break it moment like if you're ever going to be a star like you're going to have to stick and so i stayed with it i kept going by the time i finally left and when i did finally leave it was because he pushed too far it was when he said oh you've got a record deal like we're we're shopping a deal and and with the big all the big ones they're like in a bidding war and i mean this was probably absolutely a lie i mean i mean but he said in order to move to the next step we have to be a couple because up until that point we had been it had oh, been like professional ish and that was the moment where i where all of a sudden i i knew i couldn't cross that next line and so i can't i mean the I can't imagine women who are attracted to and sleeping with like sleeping with the enemy that would take mm -hmm. it to it a whole it other to level the, right it does it takes it to that other level really quickly right and i'm really glad you shared that story um because you've just told everyone what they've mm. been through um in a mm. in a different from a different point of view but that is uh, a narcissist and it also somebody who is sociopathic as well, because right. um, sociopaths have, they're able to plot things out and they're mm -hmm. able to take their times. Narcissists are very impulsive. Ah, but I think he oh. was both because I see both. And, but, but the thing is, every sociopath or psychopath is a narcissist, but it doesn't work the other way. So um, I think he was a sociopath and um, thank God you're okay.
but one of the tools that uh, tactics that a narcissist will use in the love bombing stage is to quickly get their target into bed because once they do that and oh, right. the hormones start flowing the oxytocin which is a right. hormone yes you're sunk right you're sunk that's it there was a there was a woman who i so i posted on the complaint board if anybody wants to share their story with me i'm writing a book and i'm just just to corroborate so out of all the women on the one woman reached out to me and she and i have been in touch and she he got her to sleep with him immediately <sighs> and she went through like her trauma was so much deeper than mine mm -hmm. and even though mine lasted longer i was with him for a lot longer hers was shorter but the fact that she slept with him and actually had those feet like started to love him right it forms a chemical addiction in the brain yes and then exactly. and so and when you try to get away from this person you can't because it's a drug. even though you know that you're addicted to the person right so there's something about just getting away and and having to i mean for me it was real i kept it was like the phantom limb i kept wanting to call him kept wanting to show mm -hmm. up kept i mean it took for it took a long time but i did i just i mean i kept dancing even after he wasn't in my life anymore which yeah. was like that was when that was the really hard part because i was now a part of that world i mean it so it was about six months in that he was no longer in my life, but I was still there for six more months on my own accord where I couldn't blame it on him anymore. So I had become like Patty Hearst that was now on her own with her own guns. Like, where do I go? Right, exactly. You're, you're already indoctrinated. It's like a cult. Like once you're programmed, yeah, it doesn't come out of you. you but know, the ultimate ogle, the ultimate turnaround, and this this shows up in my other book. I call it the book is called Stripped: Dancing with My Demons in the City of Angels. So I'll send you a copy if <laughs> you'll get one of the first ones ready. Oh my god! But when I did, it was the very first time I did my own version of ogle, which was basically the the fourth step in twelve step programs, where you make a inventory of what the other person did to you and you look for your part so this was the first time i had ever looked at where have i been manipulative and that was the bitter pill to swallow because mm -hmm. i realized i also had some skin in that game because there was some little part of me in the back of my brain that knew something was off and something was funky and but i wanted what he was selling mm -hmm. so I, even though it wasn't to the same degree by any means, I'm not slut shaming myself or anybody else, but it was actually the little key that helped to set me free when I got to see mm -hmm. my teeny little part that was complicit in this dynamic. And if I could, if I had a part and I wasn't a complete victim, then that actually made me feel stronger that the next time this comes around, I don't have to fall prey to that to that same energy again. It there was something very strange about seeing myself in that mirror that I didn't want to see, but in seeing it, it there was something that did set me free. And so, knock on wood, that's of my past. And he the day I finished writing my book was the day he died. He died on the day I actually gave it to my husband to read. He read the book in one sitting, looked him up, and he had died. I think he actually died the day before. And it was Kelly, you are divinely inspired. I'm sure you know. I'm sure you know. You are. You're, I mean, there's there's a force working in your life because, you know, I just I just did a show with somebody about synchronicity. He's an expert on synchronicity. Um, you're guided. You know, all of this is it's all planned. And, and Randy, I so feel blessed and grateful to talk to you and to, to be with you. You are divinely guided. And thank you. It's I feel so honored and blessed. And I and then this is like another little healing layer to be able to talk about this with somebody. That's good. And I don't like even you. know why I asked you the question I did, but that needed to come out. I, that I needed to come out. That. So I know you have to go. We're probably like a minute over here. Um okay. and I know you have to go. So um so your book, um, A Crisis is a terrible thing to waste. And tell us um how to work with you if we want to and how to get your book. 
Great. Oh, thank you. So it's available wherever books are sold, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Books the Million, all those places. I always suggest go to your local mom and pop brick and mortar place because they need our support. And they'll but order my, it, right? And they'll order it if they right. don't already have it in stock. Right. Um, my website is my name, Kelly Sullivan Walden dot com. Okay. And if that's too hard to spell, you can go to I had the strangest dream dot com okay. and i have um i have a number of things coming up i've got a um a journey to costa rica it'll be a transformational retreat that will deal with transforming tragic into magic there and using dreams and yeah. sound baths and yoga and it's amazing so that's that's if people sign up by the end of february they get a bonus luxury dream package that's like an 800 value okay. and all, if also if they put their name and email in they'll get the first they'll get the introduction to the book they're going to get my nitty gritty shitty list and they're going to get the ogle formula so they can practice it themselves so even if you don't get the book you can just get the ogle formula for free mm -hmm. on my website kellysullivanwalden.com and if people are interested in finding out about how to integrate dream work into their current profession or how to become a dream work practitioner i have a an ongoing training program that's available as well. Well, I'm glad I asked because yeah, you have a lot of things coming up. So um, and you're definitely accessible and people can work with you and your book yes. is great. Very Thank inspiring. You. And when you put out the next one, I want to hear from you. We're going to do this again. Okay. <laughs> Ooh, that'll be a whole, <laughs> you'll be my first one. I'll be like, Randy, be nice. Oh. Right. I will be very nice. You send me a copy and with a note that says, I will. Um, I'm ready. <laughs> okay. God we'll bless you. It. Okay. Thank fine. you for being so golden. Thank you for being a lighthouse. And thank you for sharing your beautiful platform with me and for doing the incredible work you're doing mm. and for giving so much hope and tools to so many people. And now let's just play Taylor Swift and shake everything <laughs> off. Anything that's left, we'll just shake, 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 shake oh. our booties. <laughs> well, have a wonderful day. And take care. We'll see, I'll see you again. I'm sure I will. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Bye-bye. Sweet dreams.